It's always not that easy. I, I think one of the things that, and, and I've been thinking and writing a lot about this, where I think one of the problems I think in this ecosystem, like I think in this day and age, right? Like everyone's kind of looking for hacks, and the reality is that there are no hacks. Where it's just like, if I just get this one investor, or if I just raise this amount of money, <laughs> or, or I just do this, or I get this partnership, or I hire this person, all my problems are solved. And I'm like, no, it's it, that isn't actually how it works. So I, I used to get that all the time where. Somebody gets into accelerator, or they raise some money from us, and like you're going to fix all my problems. I'm like, no, we're we're going to be helpful, right? In some aspects, but like you still have to go like do a lot of the hard foundational sort of like work, right? Like we'll be helpful. The best investors. The reality is that most of the stuff you hear about on podcasts and most of the stuff you hear about on blog posts and and on investors sort of like um, you know like write ups and things of like, oh, we're so helpful. We do all this stuff. It's kind of BS. The reality is that what I find is just like. Like probably less than like five to ten percent investors are really really helpful, but the reality is that they're not going to run your business, right? And yeah. so most investors are actually not helpful, and in some cases actually might be an encumbrance. And so even the really really helpful ones and really really good investors, they're helpful at the edges. And so you you know, like nobody's coming to save you. That's that's what I tell you, right? And I, I think if, if any anyone's gotten any lesson like COVID, it's just like. Nobody's coming to save you. The government's not coming to save you. Your parents are not coming to save you. Like you have to save yourself. Hello, dreamers and action takers. Welcome to another episode of Want Money Got Money. I'm your host Sam Kamani. My today's guest is a Silicon Valley veteran investor, Marvin Liao. He was one of the early employees at Yahoo and worked there for over ten years. After that, he became a partner at 500 startups and worked there for six years. During his time, he invested in hundreds of startups and worked with hundreds and hundreds of founders. He has an immense knowledge and know-how of how things work in the startup land. So let's hear more from him. Thank you so much, Marvin, for being on the podcast. It's great to finally meet you through Zoom. I would love to know what you're working on these days. Yeah. So actually, to be honest, I'm not really working on anything. And so maybe for for folks, I guess, who don't know me, maybe I should give some context, right? Like some Absolutely. background context. So I'm originally from Canada. Um, I moved to San Francisco about 21 years ago. Um, so I spent two years at an e-commerce startup that raised like $63 million or something. Then I spent about a decade and a half as an executive at Yahoo, growing a lot of the international businesses and running a lot of the international businesses. I spent about two years, honestly, just goofing around and angel investing um, and mentoring a lot of startup accelerators and speaking at conferences. And then after that, I ended up uh, joining and starting the San Francisco office for 500 startups, which is a, it's a I guess it's a fairly well-known VC fund and accelerator. So I, I ran the, I ran fund, helped run fund three and fund four and while I was there and also main accelerator program while I was there, I invested in over 414 uh, pre-seed and seed companies across the globe. I think I have a good reputation as an as investor. I speak a lot of conferences and I left 500 after six years there, end of last year. And this year, I'm just taking what we call like a fallow year from what the term is. I do that Sabbatical? every yeah, it's a sabbatical. Yes. So I just want to take some time off and been thinking, reading, writing. I've been advising a bunch of family offices. I have to say I'm probably like an opportunistic angel investor. I'm probably just going to sit it out this year because it's a mess. But the reality is I just, I still mentor a lot of, mentor a lot of startup accelerators. I also speak at a lot of events and I still talk with a lot of my old portfolio companies from 500. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, 
that is fantastic. So much to unpack there. I did see that you did go from working for a big giant like Yahoo, went into into kind of angel investing and a lot of the cohort of 500 startups are very early stage. What advice do you have for um, early stage founders? These are founders at MVP level, like they just might have their MVP or something. What should they do? Should they go and look for a accelerator, incubator type thing first, or should they just persevere on their yeah, own? Or it's so easy for somebody. Like it's so easy for me being on the outside. Just I just persevere. It's always not that easy. I, I think one of the things that, and, and I've been thinking and writing a lot about this, where I think one of the problems I think in this ecosystem, like I think in this day and age, right? Everyone's kind of looking for hacks and the reality is that there are no hacks where just like, if I just get this one investor or if I just raise this amount of money or, or I just do this or I get this partnership or I hire this person, all my problems are solved. And I'm like, no, it's it, that isn't actually how it works. So I, I used to get that all the time where somebody gets into the accelerator or they raise some money from us and you're going to fix all my problems. I'm like, no, we're, we're going to be helpful in some aspects, but you still have to go do a lot of the hard foundational like work will be helpful. The best investors, the reality is that most of the stuff that you hear about on podcasts and most of the stuff you hear about on blog posts and, and on investors write-ups and things of like, oh, we're so helpful. We do all this stuff. It's BS. The reality is that what I find is just like probably less than five to 10% investors are really helpful, but the reality is that they're not going to run your business. And yeah. so most investors are actually not helpful. And in some cases actually might be an encumbrance. And so even the really helpful ones that are really good investors they're helpful at the edges and like nobody's coming to save you that's what i'll tell you and i, I yes. think if, if any anyone's gotten any lesson of covid it's just like, nobody's coming to save you the government's not coming to save you your parents are not coming to save you like you have to save yourself 100 percent agree you have to save yourself you have to work you still have to go out and solve your customers problems because if you're not doing that what's an investor gonna do <laughs> just throw money on facebook ads <laughs> Yeah, it, it's just doesn't like, work. yeah, in, investors, like everyone's looking for this, like these hacks yes. or looking for a savior. And, and this is what I tell them. And, and by the way, those founders tend not to do very well. It's like, what? You're yeah. not going to help me get customers? And I'm like, no, no, no. We're going to talk through this stuff. I'm going to give you advice. I might make one or two introductions, but yep. I'm not going to guarantee, like, I'm not going to make or break your business. You're going to make or break your business. Yep. Yep. Marvin, how did you get started in this um, entrepreneurship journey? It's like, when did you knew that you wanted to work with startups. The real I'm not sure if I had a grand plan on this one. It's I, I think it's one of those things or just like I think I was just very lucky to be here in Silicon Valley doing like to move here to San Francisco in ninety nine and just fall into wow. a lot of this stuff. So I didn't I wasn't expecting work at startups. I had no idea. And I wasn't expecting and when I joined that that was an incredible experience. And I still have friends left over from that time and I learned a lot. And then same thing, I wasn't expecting to work at Yahoo, but it was like actually luck. There was nobody hiring in two thousand one. So it's like there's four companies, four or five companies. I think it was like PayPal, Google, eBay, Yahoo, and I think it's like Microsoft. I don't know that's it. Like there's like nobody yeah. hiring in literally there's nobody hiring in, yeah. in Silicon Valley. So I had no choice. I took the job. Like when it was <laughs> yeah. offered, I took it. So it was one of those things. But it turned out to be a great time. The stock price was low. It was a very yes. still relatively early. So it was about there's something like twenty eight hundred people working at Yahoo during that time. So yeah. it was very still relatively young. Stock yeah. price was low. 
And so it turned out to be a great move. And I was only planning on staying there for three to six months and then go to business school afterwards. And I ended up spending yes. 10 and a half years there. And so I think one of, the, one of the things I learned was just like, I just chased, I optimized for really two things. I optimized for learning and I optimized for working like with like really smart, good people. And that was like how, what pulled me into these like different opportunities of just like, do I like these people? Am I learning a lot? Are these like, is this like a good opportunity where I'm just going to learn a lot? It's like a good quote unquote platform that I'm going to learn a lot because I never thought I'd go into digital media. It's like digital media. And I didn't want to do that commute down to Sunnyvale. There was no, I needed to do it. But then once I got there, I'm just like, oh, screw this business school thing. Like I'm making money here. People are like really smart. And I, and just, it's an, it was, that was the best thing that ever happened to me. Yep. Oh, I could not agree more. It's like from my experience of being in university in India and being in university in New Zealand and working in different countries around the world, working has taught me so much more than universities can ever teach me. Yeah. And, and I was very lucky too. So when I took time off, I got introduced to the 500 team. I met a lot of people during that time, during those two years off. And I, I got to know the 500 team. I, I loved what they, they were doing. I loved the mission of 500 startups. And just like also the, the, the team at that time, like most of them are not there, but just like most of the yeah. team that I, uh, that I met. And so I got to know them over two years and I was mentoring. I was spending a lot of time mentoring there. And so I, I had no intention or interest at that time, honestly, to sort of become a, a VC or investor. But it was just like, wow, this is actually fun. I actually had to think about it. So when the, one of the co-founders, Dave, asked me to join in the beginning of 2014, I actually had to stop and think about it because like, this is not my plan. I was like going to go and do some operational role like a CRO or CO at some Series A or Series B funded startup. That was what I thought yes. I was going to do. And I really had to think about it. Oh, Huh, but like I'm already spending so much time there, and it's interesting. It's very different, yeah. and I've always taken chances when I'm like, it's so different that I'm going to learn a bunch of stuff. So either way, like this will be, and I did, and it was an incredible experience. Yeah, I find just so much energy working with young founders, and even just talking with them, and I find it like really refreshing. So I really enjoy that aspect of it. For me, it's my podcast, my books, my all the other things that I'm doing online. And I'm sure it would be something similar like that for you being a mentor, mentoring different startups. And yeah, super stuff. fun. It's the best. It's, 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 I think it's, a, it's one of the most like high impact things you can actually do. And especially entrepreneur, like it's just it's a hard journey. And so I think any little help you can provide them, I think is a good thing. This is usually, most companies are usually sort of society beneficial, right? Or society plus, I think. Yeah. I'm sure you would have so many war stories from so many different startups. What is one thing that like in your experience of working at 500 and working with different founders, you saw that a lot of founders do or successful founders do? What would be that one thing? I I think successful founders are decisive and they act as a sense of urgency and and, and they're able to operate with 60-70% information, not perfect information. What I found just, and I'm generalizing, right? Because there's always exceptions to rule, but I'm generalizing, for example, like people who have like long careers in big companies, I had to, I took me two years to unlearn all that stuff. And so it's academics and I'm talking software. I'm not talking biotech, which is very different um, or hard tech stuff, which is very different, but I'm mainly talking like software related, hardware related stuff. It's just like, you have to be 
decisive. You have to be analytical to some extent, but like not overdo it. And so you have to act with a sense of urgency and it's better to make a, like a firm decision and fix it than sort of like overanalyze. I've just met so many, like my strong founders, like decisive. They're like, we know we have to do this. This is a hard decision, but we have to go and do it. And they, they make that hard decision. If it's wrong, they fix it. But most of the time, it's just like, it's 50, 50 chances, right or wrong. It's just like, there's a forward movement. And I think the founders that tend not to do very well, tend to be like as an academics and like ex big company people who are just like, they're used to operating on a very different time, time scale. Yeah. And they're just analyzed and just like nothing gets done. Yeah. Oh, that is so true. It's ideal that when we make software, we make software for sometimes for founders, sometimes for big corporates and, and the corporates have so much bureaucracy, so many layers of decision making and everything takes six months to 12 months to and so many meetings in the middle. There's a meeting to plan for another meeting. <laughs> I, I think like the what I've learned because I've been very fortunate. I've worked in startups, yes. I've worked in big companies, I've worked in worked at a VC, VC fund and, and just like being able to observe these things and I think there's different stages of companies, right? So yeah. it affects a very different type of person where it's like somebody like, Someone who wants to work at IBM and excels at IBM is probably not going to do well in early stage startup. And early stage, someone who does well at early stage startup is probably not going to do very well at IBM. And that's something I've yeah. learned a lot about myself of just like, I didn't experience on my first startup because we went from, I was employee number 16, 17, and we went to 150 people in a year. That was crazy. Um, and I saw that at Yahoo, where it's just like, I was like late, like more like later early stage. And so still yeah. very scrappy and startup-y. And then it started like, there's these stages like commando to infantry to sort of policemen and i find like i'm really good in like the commando i'm really good i'm i I feel like i'm exceptional in the infantry of scaling and i tend not to be great in the policemen and so for me i definitely think i overstayed my welcome at yahoo i had probably stayed one year later than i should have because started become much more policemen and you start getting a lot more battles and things and if I'm very honest, I think the same thing happened at 500 where just, it became like this sort of like much more policeman mentality. And it just, ah, just wasn't, I didn't fit in as well anymore. And, and so it just, I left for good reasons. Like just like they weren't happy. I weren't happy. And so let's just leave on a good note. And so it's just one of those things of just like knowing what stage that you're in and where you excel in is actually important. Yep. Yeah, I'm making so many notes for myself. It is such a good point that you say that it is a lot about knowing yourself and what you excel at. How did you find out that what you were good at? You had you just have to do it. The reality is, there's no way until you try, and then you start figuring out. I'm a lot older than a lot of folks, so I'm in my 40s, and I've had a 21 year career here in the Valley. So you get to know yourself over a period of time of just, oh, okay. I'm good at this. I like this. And I don't like this. And I think in the beginning, just you try a lot of different things. I never thought I'd end up like doing international sort of like work and found out I really liked it. I was really good at it. I didn't never thought I'd end up doing more. I always wanted to do marketing and I actually enjoyed marketing, but I did not think I was going to, I would ever want to, or think I'd be good at sales and sales management and turned out to actually, Hey, I'm actually like, not bad. I'm actually pretty good at this. And actually I I like it. And so it's just one of those things you got to try it where other things like, for example, like management consulting, I worked at a management consulting firm before I moved to Silicon Valley. I was not very good at it. I wanted to do PR. I was not very good at it. Like these are just certain things. There's certain things I'm just like, eh, not like sales operations. Like I ended up being pretty good at that sales operations and project management. You just don't know until you try. Never would have thought. Yep. 
it's such a good segue to my next thing that I was just about to ask you. One thing that I have seen in successful people is that they are really good at selling, whether it's founders, investors, because all the time people are selling ideas, mission, vision, or it doesn't always have to be financial thing. What was the yeah. first significant thing that you sold? For me, it was like ads, right? Honestly, it's like probably getting my, my wife to marry me. Like that, that was a, that was that is, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's probably that one first. Um, and second, it's just ads. I sold ads. <laughs> That's, yeah. I sold, you know, like yeah. I sold ads before. For Yahoo? Ads. Yeah, for Yahoo. Like I was yeah, the first yeah. thing I ever did. If you go back even further, it's like, okay, I yep. sold chocolates for my, you know, for my school, I sold like raffle tickets for my orchestra. So I guess that's probably like you look back even further, of course, you're always having to sell something. So as a yeah. kid, that's what I did sell. So yeah, chocolate bars and raffle tickets. Do, do you have any um, advice for someone to get better at selling their ideas, mission, products, services, whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah, there's so many methodologies available now. And so I think a lot of it's like book, go read books like The Challenger Sale or like um, mm-hmm. Spin Selling. Like they're just frameworks to use. I don't follow them exactly, but just it's good to start with a framework and understand. And there are just so many really good sales books out there. And so like Spin Selling's one, Sales Machine, The Ultimate Sales Machine is one. There's a bunch of really good sales books that I just recommend pick up one and just mm-hmm. go read it and just get some ideas and then adapt it for your own sort of like self. Yep. Excellent advice. I will put all these links in the description to to all these books that you mentioned. Yep. I, I agree that find a methodology that you can work with and follow that. So that is great. I have some questions about about Silicon Valley and just the time that we are going through. And I'm sure you might have given some thought as well. There is a there is this uh, lot of noise around in bigger cities, whether it is London, it is New York, it is Bay Area, that these areas are going, going to disappear. They're, they're dying. People are moving out. They're moving out to the remote sort of Midwest states or wherever, and they're getting deserted. People will work remote. No one's going to come again. I have a mixed feeling about that. I don't know. What, what do you feel being there I think that's overblown. And I say this as someone who's been for 21 years, right? Yes. And also someone who's, who's actually a very big criti- critic. Like, I love New York, love San Francisco. I have spent a lot of time in both these cities. Like, they're amazing cities, right? But yes. it, they've been awful places in the last, like, three or four years. Like, just, like, yeah. super expensive. Quality life is really crap. Like, dirty, yeah. like, just, like very anti-business sort of, like, city governments. Like, just, like, there's a whole bunch of things that are really crap oh. about it. Yeah. And, and become very, because of the expensiveness, it's become very monoculture and less yes. interesting, honestly. And so, I here's my take. I think... I'm short-term, as I say, I'm short-term bearish where there's very substantial problems in these cities. There's a lot of people leaving. And so everything at the end of the day comes down to supply and demand. And so here's the way I think about it. I think that there's still enough of a lure of these cities. So in the next like two or three years, there's going to be challenges. As people leave, there's going to be tax issues, right? Like tax budget issues, companies leave. And and I think anyone who's in city government, if this is not a wake-up call, although we have a bunch of stupid people in city government right now. <laughs> but I think that the pain hopefully will wake them up. And I think also the, the cost will come down of as you see more people leaving the rental costs will come down. Yes. And five years from now, you'll be I think this is an opportunity to just rethink how city life should be here. 
yeah. and how these places could be run. And so I definitely think that will happen in New York for sure. New York has too much of an allure for young yes. people. And so as the costs go down, and what is the biggest tragedy for me, uh, not for me, but for what I see, like yes. personally, it's, I think the death of the small businesses, that has been ongoing for a very long time. It has like, been. The restaurants, the retail, yes. like what used to make these cities unique and interesting, that has been going on for a while. And I think what's going to happen is as these stupid commercials, real estate people wake up as their market goes down, I think both on the residential side and the commercial side, in the next two or three years, it's going to be really low. Rents are going to be very low. Yeah. And I think as the economy comes back in two or three years, like people are like, okay, there'll be new restaurants, there'll be new things, mm-hmm. and hopefully there'll be a new starting ground and a, a new way to rethink how these cities could be. And I think they'll come back stronger and hopefully better. And so I still think like the biggest thing that's driven people away is the cost structure, but COVID has been a driver. Um, Once we get a handle on it, which I think is going to take a year and a half at least, but once you get a handle on this, like people want to be with other people. Exactly. That is what I say as well, that it's all the investors that are based in San Francisco. Even now, if you look at the, if you look at, okay, just 500 companies funded in the last three months or something, 70% 70% in US would be funded in Bay Area. And why is that? It's not like that the they can only buy a house near Sand Hill Road or whatever. They can move to Utah and have an amazing lifestyle. But people like to be with other like-minded people. And that's why clusters form and clusters are super powerful. I, I don't know. So it will yeah. continue, I guess. Yeah, I, I think like, like, here's what I say, just like I said, I think it's going to be rough for the next like year and a half, right? Like you, you, yes. I think you will continue to see flight as more layoffs and stuff happen. Salesforce yeah. just laid off like a thousand people today. And so just, there's, you're going to see more flight. And so that sucks, right? That's never yeah. a good thing. But I, I do think there will be some renaissance over the next like, like it'll be it'll be really bad, I think, like through to probably twenty twenty two. But I, I expect some type of renaissance of just like yeah. this their their cities are like human organisms or, exactly. or like living organisms. and I would say human organisms, living organisms. And I, I do anticipate some rebirth. And it'll be very different. This will be a very different city. Yep. But I think anytime there are massive shifts in lifestyle, culture, economy, anything, there are just like there is a downturn, but there are so many new opportunities born from new ways of doing things. And and one of the things that cities do really is they attract really smart, intelligent people from, and it is at the end of it, it's people who do things, who make decisions. And those would like there would still be a lot of engineers who would be unemployed with time on their hand, which they didn't used to have a year and a half ago in San Francisco or in Bay Area, that they would come up with new solutions. So I still think it would still be a birthplace for a lot of this sort of a tech startup innovation for the next many years to come. I, I, I think at least for the next 10 years. I think there yeah. are some very big problems in SFA oh, area and in abs- California. Absolutely. But, yes. but, you know, like it's just the critical mass is still here. I think yeah. once that starts to unwind, I, I don't think we're there yet. And, and same thing with New York, where not just from a tech perspective, but I'm like, okay, New York, there's so many problems in New York. No, no yeah. question about that. Yeah. But it's this idea of just like, US is a very young, is a very, has a very young population. So I'm like, yeah. if you're 20 something, like in three or four years, like you're going to go to New York. 
Like exactly the reality is you're going to move to New York. Like yeah. I just don't see any other city that has, maybe Austin's pretty cool. Just like for a critical mass perspective, just like if the costs go down a lot in New York, I'm like, I think there's going to be a lot of people, like a lot of young kids are going to move to New York. Like I have zero question in my mind. That's been the, that has been the case for the last 50, 60 years. Yeah, Maybe or longer, even more, longer, even yeah. since 20. Probably, probably yeah. 80 years. Yeah, Eight, yeah probably 100 years, actually. Yes. It's probably yes. last over 100 years. So I don't think that's going to change. And so I'm still very bullish on you. I, I still think the, there's some policies and things that need to change there. I, I think the rents on the commercial side and residential for both San Francisco and New York, their landlords got way too greedy. And yeah. now they're paying for it. Yeah. Oh, yes. And it will. This sort of bloodbath in the real estate is going to continue, I would think so, for next year or two. Yeah, next year and a half, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I still think despite all the innovation in broadband and all that, is ask anyone, do you want to be the rest of your life in a long distance relationship? And most people will say, no, it is. There is some human energy when you sit down together, have coffee with someone in a cafe and it's different. It's still different than Zoom. It's still different. It's still different. This idea is, oh, everyone's going to be like ghost kitchens. That's garbage. People that want is- to, people like interacting. Oh, malls are all toast. I'm like, okay, the US is a little bit different because we're over mauled. Like, we have like way too many malls. But to think the mall is going to completely disappear is like ludicrous to me. It's like, oh, everyone's just going to be at home doing e-commerce shopping like no that's not like that's it just doesn't make i don't agree with that yeah yeah and also people are going to have and they have more time not everyone in us but it's we don't work to the bone 14 hours a week in the field every single day we do other things and cities because of critical mass as you say they have that opportunity and lots of new opportunities will be born. I um, 100% think of that. So yeah, what is next for you in the next three years, five years? What do you plan yeah, to I, Honestly, I have no idea, my friend. Um, it's just one of those things. I've never been a big career planner. I've just gone where where opportunities open up and opportunities that's like fulfills. Is this, am I curious about this? Am I, am I working with like good people? That's, that's always like how I looked at stuff. So I, I honestly don't know. I don't know if I either go into operating or I end up becoming sort of an investor or maybe I do both. I, I honestly don't know. And so it's just, this is what I'm taking this year. Just figure out. Yep. Very cool. Do you have a ask? Do you, are you looking for anything? No, the only ask is if you're interested in seeing some of the stuff I'm doing, follow me on Twitter at Marvin Liao, M-A-R-V-I-N-L-I-A-O. Um, L-I-A-O. And if they're interested in, I just started a newsletter, just like, it's a free newsletter, just like keeping up with, I, I post stuff like three to four times a week. So just like my observations on startup world, on VC. And so you can sign up at Hard Fork, H-A-R-D-F-O-R-K as in fork, right? Hard Fork. Yes dot substack.com i just started two months ago and so if anyone's interested just keeping up with like i'm very i think direct and honest views like people here are not honest and so i tend to be very direct and and so i just don't care because i don't really i'm not afraid of insulting people or whatever but just like calling stuff as i see them which is not a very silicon valley thing it's probably more of a new yorker thing (laughs) yes Um, and so if you're looking for like more direct and honest takes on what's happening in the, the tech world of Silicon Valley, come check out hardfork.substack.com. That, that would be it. Just like on my newsletter and I'll be writing, like I'm committed to writing, like basically I do three posts a week. Lovely. I will put the links to, to those in 
in the description of wherever this goes. Yep, it is it is great. Before we finish, I have these three quick fire questions I ask. One is what is the book that you are reading at the moment? The book is called Burn In and it's by Singer and Cole. So it's a science fiction or call it near science fiction. And actually I think everybody needs I'm like about 80% through. So even though science fiction, there's it's very well researched about what happens when AI and robotics become much more prevalent in our society and and the societal impacts it's going to have, not all positive. And it's, so it's a story about this FBI agent who gets paired up with this new uh, next generation sidekick, right? Like yes. AI and how they use that. And it's very well written. Like it's, it's an easy read, but it's very well researched. And it's a little bit dark yes. because it's, it, it talks about what's happening in DC in the near future, but it's really good. And I think like, a lot of stuff they're talking about is going to come to fruition in the next 10 years. Yep. Excellent recommendation. And it's something that no one so far has recommended because everyone, when I ask, I, I slightly changed this question, actually. I used to ask, what's your favorite book? And then I was starting to get tired of um, the same stuff. It's the same the lean startup and the zero yeah. to one and the, the same five or 10 books that Canons. are in the, yeah, the yes. canons. Yes, yes. So I, I was so that's why I have rephrased it. And pretty much everyone in on my podcast is a reader like you. And so what is the book you're reading right now? And that gives me an insight into what is happening. And is there a podcast that you recommend? I invest like look, I am I'm an investor and so you always try yes. to keep up on top of what's going on. So invest like the best, Patrick O'Shaughnessy. I think he interviews a lot of like founders and a lot of investors. And it's not just like VC investors. He invests he, they're like Family hedge office. fund investors, yes. bond investors, like oil and gas investors. But he teases out like all these like things where it's like at the end of the day, being a great investor is just, there are some universal things and it's fascinating. And he's a great interviewer. So I, I'm a big fan of I'm best like the best. Invest like the best. I will check it out. Final question. If you had unlimited time, resources, money, what would you build or invest in? That's a great question. Probably like Andrew Carnegie, I would be, I would build and invest in like just massive libraries. I like books, my thing. And, and I actually think that too many people don't have the time to go and do that. And so I think there's an element of there's a book part, which is a knowledge and inspiration. And then the other thing, like if I had a chance to do that, I would probably, I would actually look at figuring out some way to make people like either build a completely new health system. And I live in the US, so it's a complete disaster. But I, I think that this is something where especially you only appreciate and think about as you get older and health is something we take for granted. And that could be mental health. That could be physical health, but it it is something I I think as a society, we tend not to think a lot about until like you lose it. Yep. Very true. Is is it okay if I talk about the health thing? (laughs) Because my e-commerce startup was on complementary health and we used to sell herbal supplements and all that. And so I, went down this route and looking at the regulation and things and looked at lot in US and all that. Out of all the OECD or the developed world, US is the only one where it is like completely privatized. Um, it's, it's a disaster and it's a disaster. And yeah, US spends something like 18, 19% of the GDP on health. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's, I think and it's almost, I think it's 
wow, 20, it has changed in the last few years. Um, it has always gone up. And just looking at through inflation in the last 30 years, there's been massive inflation in the health and education. Everything else has stayed the same. And so there just shows that there is a massive opportunity um, in those two areas. To And also on top of that, U.S. has a, it's one of the only few developed countries where the life expectancy is decreasing in the last few years. So I think that all the indicators to me show that there is massive opportunities for disruption, disrupting the whole system. And I'm sure just like you, a lot of other people are seeing that. I I don't know what your thoughts are. I recently, or not recently, last year, I heard a lot of noise around Buffett and Jeff Bezos and which is JP Morgan guys. Yeah, they are like banding together to unbundle this or or do something about it. But I understand that hasn't worked very well yet. So I I still think it's early, but I would never count. These are giants and particularly Bezos. I think it's still very early. So I think about Amazon Fire. I wasn't very successful, but they're just iterating and iterating. They take lessons from that. I never count these people out. And it's too big of a problem. And especially with Amazon slowly becoming a, probably at least one of the top 10 employers in In, the US, right? Or in the world, in fact. Yeah, 700,000 plus employees now or 800,000, something like that. I feel like they're growing all the time. So it's just one of those things where I still think we're like, that is a massive cost structure for them. And so if anyone's going to figure it out, it's probably them. Yeah, yeah. So now it'd be very interesting. I think it, it gets really complicated when already such a huge part of the economy is tied to keeping the system when 20% of the people like the budget is going to that. So many people are employed in that it's very hard to un- undo and yeah, very big problem. But yeah, if anyone, it should be US who can figure it out. <laughs> We'll see. I, I think, I, unfortunately, I think even though I'm very bullish about the U.S. long term, I, I think the next four years are going to be just really rough. And because yeah. we have one of the younger populations, but if you take a look at who's representing us in Congress and in the Senate, they're all like 60, 70 years old. So yes. there's actually a huge dramatic gap. And, and I don't regret this. I can't wait until they all die off. These are all awful people. And so the reality yeah. is just like that when they die off, you're going to see a younger generation. And so I think there, there will be a renaissance in the U.S. in the next five to 10 years, but not any sooner than that. Wow. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. U.S. has always woken up and risen to the challenge, whether it was the First World War, Second World War, or whenever, whenever faced. So I, I have no doubt to think it would, but yeah, interesting times. <laughs> it's it's going to be rough. It's going to be rough, but I just, I, I never count this place out. There's just, there's too much, too many resources. There's too many smart people. Yes. And it's 330 million people. And with yeah. very relatively high per capita, not to say we have massive problems here, like just Really. And so I, this is what I tell anybody who's like an entrepreneur or anybody in general, just think for yourself or just it's never as good as people as the media says it is. And it's never as bad as it is. The truth is always in the middle. Truth is in the middle. Excellent advice. <laughs> if there is someone who has, say, just left, I don't know, or had an exit or they want to look into a new field to start into, 
what would your advice be? What should they look at? Where do you see the opportunities or where do you see the future going? I think going? it's biotech. I think it's life sciences and biotech is really where the future is. And Bill Gates said this, like, if I was starting off as an entrepreneur now, it's going to be biotech. I think it is. I think there's a lot of things happening in the biotech space now that's very interesting and making it much more accessible. And so I think there's going to be a massive boom in biotech over the next like, 10. And this isn't just because of COVID. This was happening prior to COVID. And I think COVID did speed it up though. Yep. Oh, COVID has sped up so many things, but excellent advice. Look, I will put all these things in the show notes and, and everything and where people can follow you. Thank you so much, Marvin, for coming on the show. Excellent conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed my time and I'm sure a lot of the founders listening to would have done the same. Thank you once again. No, thank you for having me and, and good luck to everybody and be safe. Yes, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Want Money, Got Money with Sam Kamani. Hope you enjoyed the show and got some valuable insights that would help you in your startup or your business. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate this show on your favorite platform. It would be extremely helpful and I just cannot tell you how much I would appreciate that.